We'll just read a few verses this morning as we look at this very precious passage of Isaiah 53. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 1, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us another uh, chance to come as a, a body of Christ, Lord, to, to worship you and to praise your name. Lord, now as we look at this very precious passage uh, here of Isaiah 53, pray that it would change our lives as we study it, reread it, and believe it, Father, and see the unexpected Messiah. So, Father, we just uh, ask your blessing and your word. May your Holy Spirit guide us into your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in this passage of Isaiah 53, again, we've uh, talked about it a couple weeks now, talking about a forbidden chapter. Again, Isaiah 53 is not commonly read by most Jewish people. Uh, I mentioned before that in the synagogue services or throughout the week, there are portions of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible that are, are read, and they do it on a yearly cycle. Most, most synagogues do it on a yearly cycle. And so they begin, this happens in October usually, they begin in Genesis and they finish in Deuteronomy in a yearly cycle. While they read through portions of the Torah, the first five books, they uh, will also read portions of the, what's called the Haftorah. Haftorah is of uh, the writings in the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament. And usually there is a correlating passage to the Torah portion, and that's kind of how it, it lines up. For whatever reason, throughout the centuries, uh, it became a custom where the Haftorah portion would end in Isaiah 52, verse 12, and then the next week it would pick up on Isaiah 54. So for centuries... The Jewish people have not really read Isaiah 53, even though it's in their own scriptures. Um, very few of them have, if they've studied it all, is usually what some rabbinic teaching is about it, some commentary about it. And so it's, uh, it always amazes me when we look at the plain reading of scripture uh, that it, it, it shows us, again, it points us who the Redeemer is of Israel, who the Messiah is of Israel, and who is the servant that has been sent by God. As we talk about the servant songs, uh, it's important to also understand here that this is here in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 actually begins in chapter 52, verse 13, and then continues to the rest of Isaiah, next chapter. So it's, it's sectioned out a little bit differently in the, in the way that Isaiah set up. Nonetheless, it's still part of Scripture. Isaiah, 50, uh, the, Isaiah 53 is really the fourth of the servant songs. Uh, we don't have time to go back on that, but actually starting in chapter 50, or 42 uh, up until here, we have here, there's actually four servant songs all together and basically revealing who Christ is. There's been a lot of debate also on who exactly is this servant. Who is the suffering servant here? And actually, if you talk to most Jewish people in general, they will say that this here is Israel. The reason why they say that is because there's other passages in Isaiah that does describe the servant as Israel. And uh, so, but there's some confusion, but I believe that Isaiah shifts the focus here, not just to a corporate group, but also now to an individual. 
There's been some debate exactly who this servant is. If it is an individual, who is it? Some actually believe that this could be the prophet Isaiah himself or even Jeremiah, some even Hezekiah, and believe it or not, even Cyrus the Great. There's, there's a lot of different guesses out there. But I believe, according to Scripture here, and as we look at Scripture and we see how the, the Testaments combine, the Old and New Testament, it really gives us a portrait of who that suffering servant is, and I don't believe it can be none other than Jesus, the Messiah. This is very important as we see that. So as we look into this passage here, it's important to understand this, that Isaiah, the prophet, wrote the scripture about 700 years before Christ came to earth. He wrote to a people that were facing the threat of the Assyrian army and also the impending exile to Babylon. Earlier on in the book of Isaiah, he wrote that Israel was in bad shape due to their corruption, their sinfulness, their wickedness, and their idolatry. And that's one of the reasons they were being led to exile. Now, beginning in chapter 40, there's actually a, a turn, if you will. Um, some say that Isaiah is kind of like a, a mini version of the Bible. The first 39 books kind of talk about generally God's judgment. And then in chapter 40 through 66, 27 books, you find here of God's comfort to his people, and there is hope. So nonetheless, the beginning of chapter 40, the message of Isaiah takes a different tone that God would comfort his people, culminating to the kingdom of peace and security for the whole world under the reign of the Messiah, the servant. And so, but today though, we are talking about something very important, and that is the unexpected Messiah. Who is exactly the Messiah? And so we're going to be looking at a couple different uh, elements of Jewish history today. But also, we're going to look at the scriptures here and let the scriptures speak for themselves exactly who the promised Messiah is. And this is so important for us to, to know that today. So I want to begin with this quote here. This is from Moses Maimonides. He's known as the Rambam. Uh, in the 12th century, he was a very um, uh, influential rabbinic writer. Uh, he wrote what was composed to the 13 articles of faith uh, among the Jewish people. And the 12th of those is, says this, that I believe with a perfect faith in the coming of Mashiach, Messiah, okay? And though he may tarry, still I await uh, for him every day. And so this is a, a quote that's been, so this is a very traditional quote, a rabbinic quote that is believed by, by many Jewish people today. The Rambam, he, you think about the great Moses in, in history. You got Moses in the Bible, you got Moses Maimonides, and then you got Moses Mendelssohn, who was the father of Felix Mendelssohn, the composer. Those were the great Moseses in Jewish life, okay? So Maimonides, or Rambam, has a very, very important um, status, if you will, amongst the Jewish people. But this is a common article of faith, that I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah, okay? So, however, in the coming of the Messiah... How would that Messiah, what would that Messiah look like? Now, i got to under, uh, help us understand something here before we go to the next slide, that what is the Jewish concept of the Messiah? If you ask them, what, what exactly is the Messiah? Well, you're going to get a variety of answers. There's a saying that you have two Jews and you've got three opinions, okay? Sometimes more, okay? A good friend of mine, he says, just two or just three opinions? Anyways, nonetheless, uh, what is the concept of a, Jew, of a Messiah if you talk to the Jewish people today? For us as, as uh, Christians, we think of the Messiah as a redeemer, a savior. Uh, we also think of it in terms of this is uh, God in the flesh. We, we, of course, we point to Jesus for that. But you're going to get a variety of different interpretations among the Jewish people, though. Who is the Messiah? Well, Many would say he was going to be a great leader like King David. 
Okay? He's going to be victorious over his enemies. Uh, he will, and there's some that believe this, depending on how orthodox they are, that the Messiah needs to come from a very famous rabbinical family, a rabbinic line. Okay? Uh, and so there's some, some thought on that. Uh, there was a rabbi back in, well, actually he passed away in the 90s. His name was uh, Menachem Mendel Schneerson. Uh, in fact, I'll have to tell you the story about it maybe next week on, on that. But nonetheless, that he was one of the, the seventh of the great rabbis, rebbes, uh, in that group of Hasidim that came from, uh, from Europe. But nonetheless, they, they thought maybe he's the, the Messiah because he came from a great rabbinic line. Um, but nonetheless, there's also an idea that a true Messiah is someone gonna, that's going to bring, bring world peace together. The line will they lay down the lamb. They'll be, beat their swords into plowshares. Okay, there are spears into pruning hooks. That's going to happen as well. So there's going to be a bringing of world peace. Another key thing when you talk to Jewish people today, even rabbinic Jews, is that the Messiah is not a savior and is not God. He is maybe a very empowered man. Okay, so you can already see there's a very different perspective on what a Messiah is. And I'd be honest with you, there's a lot that would actually disclaim there's some in the Reformed Jewish movement today that they would say this, that, that the Messiah, uh, actually it's not so much a person, it's like an, a messianic era. There is, it's just kind of an era of peace that's been brought in, not necessarily to a person. So there's a, ver- a lot of varieties that have come up through the years and depending on who you listen to. But I think what most Jewish people, most rabbis would agree on, that the rabbi is not Jesus. I'll be honest with you, they could give whatever reason, it all boils down to the rabbi's not Jesus, okay? Why? He was not a great leader, he did not conquer armies, he didn't conquer Rome when he had the chance, Uh, he did not bring world peace, okay? We still have conflicts and wars together here, Um, and eventually he died, he died as a heretic. Remember, like I say, there's a lot of of, um, uh, confusion, I believe, on who is the Messiah. I just gave a couple examples, and that's, that's the Jewish person on the street on what they believe on that. But I think, too, a lot of Christians, we're also confused on exactly what a Messiah is. And why is that? I think most Christians, we feel comfortable in the, in the New Testament. Very rarely do we really study the Old Testament. We might know some of the Psalms, we might know some of the stories, but we really don't dig into the Old Testament as far as what it says. And this is why it's so important for us. So is the Messiah really Jesus? Is it is a Messiah God? I think there's a lot of places we could turn to. Psalm 2, Psalm 110, uh, different passages of Isaiah. And we're going to kind of look at that today. And exactly who is the true Messiah? Okay? So here's the thing. The, according to Isaiah's prophecy that this is this. Who has believed our report? Who is the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who is the suffering servant that's being presented here today? God would send his servant, though, like I said, in an unexpected way. He wasn't going to come as a huge, great leader with pomp and ceremony, okay? He's not coming, coming from a famous rabbinic line. He's coming from a, a very unexpected way. The Jewish expectations, go back to the second temple period, 2,000 years ago. When Jewish expectation at this time for the Messiah reached a fever pitch during the time of the second temple. They looked for a mighty deliverer from Roman oppression. Remember, Rome was in charge. And things were not going that well for the Jewish people as far as their, I mean, it, it was very bitter in many aspects. Yet, as, as we know, that in the year 70 AD, the Romans and the 10th Legion destroyed the Roman temple in Jerusalem and the city itself. Over a million Jews were killed during that time. Many others were taken to slavery. 
And as that happened, the Jewish people faced another exile, not just the one from Babylon, another exile as well. It was a few years later, actually about 100 years after Jesus Christ, the year 132 to 135 AD, another Jewish Messiah arose, and his name was Simon Bar Kokhba. Simon Bar Kokhba. He was a very uh, major military leader. How many have ever heard of that name, Simon Bar Kokhba? A couple of you have, okay. Simon Bar Kokhba, he was a very well-known uh, military leader that rose up against the Roman Emperor Hadrian and the army, the Roman army that was there. There was a famous rabbi, one of the most famous rabbis in Judaism is Rabbi Akiva. Uh, very interesting story on him alone, but nonetheless, he was a very, very prominent rabbi that was there in the area of Israel during this time. And he actually brought Simon Bar Kokhba under his wing and basically declared him to be the Messiah. Bar Kokhba, or he declared Simon Bar Kokhba to be the Messiah. Now, that's not his real name. Simon, it was actually Bar Kozeba, was his actual name. But his, he got a new nickname, Bar Kokhba. Why? Because the belief is this, that uh, according to tradition, that Bar Kokhba was from the line of Judah, which is one of the qualifications for a Messiah. But what happened was this, that they were looking in the book of Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17, that a star shall come out of Jacob. Okay? And so that star, in Hebrew, you say kokhba, uh, uh, okay? Kokhob, which is a star. So Simon's son of the star. And so they believed him to be the Messiah. And actually, through his leadership... He gained an army, and they did fight, and they, get, they got independence from Rome for about three years. They actually had coins minted. You can see it there on the right. That's a coin, a coin from the Bar Kokhba era that was there. And all, but eventually, Hadrian brings in other legions, three legions from Britain, other legions from, the, uh, uh, from uh, different parts of Germany. And they brought them in, and they eventually crushed the Bar Kokhba rebellion, and, of course, Rabbi Kiva himself was actually martyred in a very tragic way. But nonetheless, Bar Kokhba and his army, they, they eventually ended up uh, losing their lives to the Romans there in the hills of Judea. They were crushed. And so, therefore, this is just one of several messiahs, Jewish messiahs, that have come and gone with each one presenting a messianic hope that did not come to fruition. I can show you in my library, I mentioned this before, but I have a, a book there, it's called 50 Jewish Messiahs, and that's from Bar Kokhba all the way to today. These are, and that's just some of the famous ones. There's been a lot of different messiahs that have come and gone, and again, they did not come to fruition. However, when we look for a messiah, who do we look to? Where should we look for a messiah? And that's the question that we should present, not to our Jewish friends, but to ourselves as well. Where do we look for the coming messiah? Where do we look for that Redeemer as we look at that Messiah? By the way, what does Messiah mean? Let's talk about this. Let's get some uh, basic answers here. Messiah means anointed. Just as the priests and the kings uh, were anointed for special service before, that's what it means, a Messiah, okay? But when we think of Messiah, another way we say it is Christ. So when we say Jesus Christ, it, Christ or Christos is the Greek word for Messiah, anointed. It means the same thing. So when you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus the Messiah, just in Greek, or a version of Greek. So that's what it amounts to. So you're saying the same thing. So it's very important. Again, as I've said before, when we think of Jesus Christ, Christ was not the son of Mr. and Mrs. Christ. Okay? It was not his last name. That's his title. That's very important as we understand that. Okay? So 
as we see this, Simon Bar Kokhba was again a Messiah that did not live up to the fruition, the dreams that they had. And so where do we then look to the Messiah? I believe the first place we should look for the true Messiah, and by the way, there is only one true Messiah. When we look at that, the first place we should look to is the Hebrew Scriptures. In this, we find God's plan for redemption for the world and for the souls of both Jew and Gentile. And here we are in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 gives us a clear description and presentation of the suffering servant, the Messiah. And as we examine this messianic prophecy together, we find that it's interesting here, when you look at the, the two testaments combined, it's one book, okay? It's a Jewish book here. That we find here that Isaiah 53 in the New Testament is quoted or alluded to in the New Testament about 50 times. 29 of those times is found in the Gospels. So here's the important thing. The, the two testaments that we have together are tied with one another. The Bible is a Jewish book. A lot of times when you talk to, with Jewish people, they talk about the Hebrew Bible meaning the Old Testament. And then you say, well, what's the New Testament? How would they say it? That's the Christian Bible. You have the Christian Bible. We have the Hebrew Bible. But guess what? It's, a, it's one Bible, just in two parts, okay? This is very important to know. When um, Israelis uh, serve in the military, when they do their oath of service, they, um, by the way, it's not like what you hear on the news. Jews and Arabs and other ethnic groups can serve in the Israeli military. Uh, Jewish Israelis are conscripted. They have to do that. But Arab Jews or Arab Israelis can do it voluntarily. And so when you do your swearing-in ceremony, uh, the Jewish Israelis, they will swear on the Tanakh, the, 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 the Torah, the Old Testament as we know it. When a, a Muslim, an Arab, comes to, to serve in the Israeli military, they will swear on the Quran. Okay? But let's say a Christian... And there are Christian Arabs, for example, other Messianic Jews, uh, Jewish believers in Jesus. When it comes to their turn, what do they do it? They will do it simply on the New Testament. Again, it's the idea, that's the Christian Bible. The Old Testament, that's the Jewish Bible. And you see, what, what do we have? We have a parting of the ways. Folks, that's not how the Bible is designed. It's one book. It's a Jewish book. Like I said, we have a Jewish Messiah. We don't have a Chinese Messiah. We don't have an Argentinian Messiah, a Canadian Messiah. We don't have, even have a Maple Grove Messiah, okay? We have a Jewish Messiah. And that was God's plan through Abraham, that through his seed that all nations of the world would be blessed. So important as we know that, folks. Like I said, the patriarchs are Jewish. The prophets are Jewish. When we look at even the New Testament, the disciples were Jewish. The writers of the New Testament, with the possible exception of Luke, are Jewish. They're writing with a Jewish thought. And this is what we're going to kind of see today as well. And when we look at Isaiah 53, and as we go through these verses, even in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see how Isaiah 53 played into the minds of the thinking of the Jewish people during the Second Temple time, 2,000 years ago, during the time of Christ. In other words, was it, some people have accused, well, Matthew, Mark, and John, and all them, they were just, and Paul, they were just simply regurgitate, or they were saying some other version of Isaiah 53 in order to prove that Jesus is their Messiah. In other words, they were looking past and do that, okay? But like I said, we're looking from the Old Testament saying, what is this pointing to? Or who is this pointing to? Where is our attention supposed to be? And that's what we're looking at here today. So again, very important as we see that. So let's get to know the Hebrew Bible. Let's get to know the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, okay? 
And so when we look at that, get to know the Hebrew, Hebrew Bible. There's two things we need to know. And this is actually two weeks ago we kind of covered some of these points. I want to bring those out again. The Tanakh, which is a, an abbreviation for the Torah, the writings and the prophets that makes up what we know as the, the Old Testament. Okay, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, is messianic. It has a messianic hope. Why? Because it enables believers to have confidence in the scriptures. Again, Jesus didn't one day just pop up and be born in Bethlehem. Jesus didn't just, for whatever reason, be baptized of John the Baptist. Jesus, for whatever reason, didn't just do this miracle and that miracle. Jesus, for whatever reason, just didn't die on the cross and rise again. This was done on purpose. Why? Because these are prophecies. That was a fulfillment of prophecies that happened back from the time of Moses and through the prophets. That's why it's so important for us to know the Old Testament, folks. So important for us to do that. Okay? So, again, the New Testament is not just a fable Christian thing. I'll be honest with you. A lot of Jewish people have the idea that the New Testament, that's just a recipe book of how to kill Jews. It's an anti-Semitic book. That's their version of it. That's how they perceive it. And unfortunately, many throughout history who claim to be Christians did persecute Jews for being Christ killers. That happened in many places, such as the Inquisition, the Crusades, uh, the Holocaust, pogroms. Many places, Jews were persecuted simply because they were Jewish and because of what they supposedly did to Jesus. This is why it's so important for us to know this, okay? So the Old Testament, very important. It enables believers to have confidence in the scriptures. In other words, here's the point. When we go through Isaiah 53, I pray that you will love the Jewish Messiah and you will love his people and have a heart for the Jewish people. That's the goal of this, this study here. The next thing, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, is messianic, has that hope because it's foundational for identifying Jesus as the Messiah. In other words, did Jesus just make this stuff up? Did Matthew or John or Paul or Peter just make this stuff up about Jesus and throw some verse from the Old Testament onto him? Again, that's what some Jewish people believe. But we're going to find out, what, what does the Bible say in plain sight? Who is this suffering servant that is mentioned so eloquently here in the servant psalm? Okay, so let's talk as we look here. Let's now dig into the text here and know more about Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Let's go back to that verse. It says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Let me just say one quick thing. When you look back at Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 15, that's the beginning of the servant song, and then that is kind of like an opening presentation for what you're about to read about that. Okay, so keep that in mind. But again, verse 1 says, Who hath believed our report, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Okay, so we're going to look at, first of all, the Messiah's unexpected appearing. This was an unexpected Messiah. The Messiah Jesus did not come the way that the Jewish people, or even the world for that matter, expected him to be. So let's talk about his unexpected appearing. What was the report? It says here, Who hath believed our report? The idea, who hath believed? Who is saying this? This is talking about... I believe the Jewish people, they're, they're kind of saying this now. Who has believed our report? What have we heard? What, who has believed what we just heard, this report, this message that we have heard? To whom the army of the Lord is revealed. So what's the report? What's the message? The message is what the prophets, going back to Moses, have told that the Messiah will come from Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Okay, until Shiloh come. Okay, it says here in, in uh, Genesis 49, Another prophet, Micah, Micah 5.2, that the, that the Messiah, this servant, would be born in Bethlehem. 
This is another great clue that, again, Jesus just didn't pop in Bethlehem one day and said, here's Mary and Joseph. Oh, here's Jesus. We've got a Messiah now. No, this was prophesied hundreds of years before that event took place. Very important. We also know that the Messiah, the suffering servant, he would minister among the poor, the needy, and the outcast. That's what it says in Isaiah chapter 11, also in chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to the weak, to, those that are, to, to uh, release those that are captive, uh, to bind the brokenhearted. He does all that. This is the ministry of the Messiah. Here's the point. The suffering servant is going to identify in his earthly ministry with those who also are suffering. That's who he's identifying with. He's not hanging out with the lifestyles of the rich and famous folks or this famous rabbi or that famous priest. Jesus is identifying with the lowest because he came as a lowly servant. Beautiful. This is beautiful. And then also we know another thing. There's much more we could say about prophecy, but the Messiah also would rise again from the dead. He shall not see his soul in hell, okay? In, in uh, Psalm chapter 16. So these are some of just many of the prophecies in the Old Testament that point to a coming Messiah, a redeemer of Israel. And Isaiah, again, is writing this here about 700 years before the event happened. Again, did, just, did Jesus just to say, I'm reading Isaiah 53, okay, I better make sure I line all this stuff up in my life. I tell you what, there's so many things he had to get in order to become the true Messiah. Bar Kokhba, sure, he was from the line of Judah, but did he, did he fulfill these things? No. By the way, it's, it's very interesting. Bar Kokhba, he was a tyrant. Uh, he, he was very strict in the rabbinic law, how people were supposed to tithe, how they live, how they dress, to do, do everything like that. Um, and so it be very, came, he became very controlling. It kept, kind of kept the peace for a while, but it was very different from Jesus who came as meek and lowly. That's the difference that you see here between them. Okay, continuing on here, all right? Here's the thing. What is the purpose of all these things? What is the purpose of the song? Who has believed our report or our message? The purpose here of this servant song of the Messiah, Isaiah 53, is that we would believe, that all would believe that the servant is whom God has sent. That's why we read this today, that we would believe on that servant. Who has believed our report? The thing is this, most Jewish people today, talking about Israel, has not believed that report. They have not believed that. That's why they look for other messiahs. And they say, well, you could ask, well, this, this person and that person, they didn't fulfill the prophecy of Micah or, or this or that. I talked earlier about Menachem Schneerson, who uh, he died in the 90s. He never once stepped foot in Israel, yet he was declared to be Messiah by a large group of Orthodox Jews. Never once even stepped foot in Israel, let alone born there. And yet they claim to be the Messiah. There's a house in Israel. It's right next to the, tel- the airport, Ben Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv. It's a replica of the one that's in Crown Heights, New York. And they're waiting. They said, we are waiting for your arrival, Messiah. It's still there today, even though he's been dead for many years. Folks, would they just simply look at the Bible? Would they simply look at the text? What's here? Would they simply believe the report? One day they will. The purpose, though, of this song is for all to believe, not just Jews, but also Gentiles, in the servant that God has sent. Okay? So let's talk a little bit more. Second part of this verse here, it says, And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord talks about really the power of the Lord, the power of God, and that's revealed in his servant. So Isaiah here is calling the Messiah the arm of the Lord. That's referring to his messianic display. When the Messiah comes, he will show the exploits of the Lord. 
He will show the power of the Lord. And how does he do it? Actually, the arm of the Lord is mentioned several times in the book of Isaiah. Earlier on, chapter 40, the arm of the Lord, the Messiah, will rule for him, for the Lord. Okay, he'll give him that authority. The, the Gentiles will put their hope in the arm of the Lord, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. The arm of the Lord would also redeem, chapter 51. The arm of the Lord also brings salvation. He brings that reward with you, chapter 52. And then now in Isaiah 53, verse 1, Isaiah here is revealing to us that the armor Lord is in fact the Messiah. Who is this Messiah? He's kind of been giving clues up until this point. Now here's the Messiah. Here's the point. The Messiah is very much part of God himself. That's the point of this. Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The power of the Lord. And yet he was unexpected. Unexpected. The Messiah, unexpected appearing. Now, we go into his unexpected appearance. His unexpected appearance. We see here in verse 2, Isaiah 53, verse 2. For he shall grow up before him, before the Lord, as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. This here, this passage, this verse, talks about the lowly state of this servant that comes. He is described as a tender plant, like a, a sapling, okay? Something very tender, very um, not, not necessarily strong, not noticeable by most of the world. You know, you ever maybe have a, go by a, a greenhouse or whatever, they're growing different saplings. You really don't pay attention to little ones, right? You're looking at the bigger ones, unless you're like really micromanaging and you like to look at those things. God bless you, okay? But nonetheless, most people don't care about those little saplings. It's something not significant. And that's the idea. When the Messiah comes, he will be just like that. By most people, he'll be insignificant. That's the idea. But it also says here that he will be as a root out of dry ground. This is a very interesting topic here that's mentioned. This here, this passage is connected with Isaiah chapter 11, that there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The branch is, is, is a messianic title. It's referring to the Messiah. I mentioned a couple weeks ago about the Essenes, the, who were um, proposedly the scribes of the Dead Sea Scrolls. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And the Essenes, they use this a lot in their literature, literature concerning the Messiah, that he will be the branch. The book of Jeremiah also talks about the Messiah as the branch that would come out of, in Isaiah's case, out of dry ground. And so exactly who is this? The thing is this, the Bible talks about this, that this branch or this root out of dry ground, what is this like? You understand this, that this branch out of Jesse is talking about the Davidic, the Davidic line, the, the messianic line, okay? So as this is happening, you see here, to the kings of Israel, even though Israel was divided, God still preserved Judah. He still had his hand over Jerusalem. But the Jewish people went into Babylon. When they came back, Zerubbabel, he brings back the Jew Jewish people from exile out of Persia, and now they build the second temple, and Zerubbabel is actually in the line of David. Let's skip down some generations. You go to Matthew chapter 1, you read a genealogy of Jesus' family line, Zerubbabel's right there, and here is Jesus, part of that line. But I'll be honest with you, in Jewish society during this time, the line of David, the line of Jesse was just like that. It was pretty much dried up. Where was the king of Israel, the next king of Israel? Couldn't find him. Inexpicuous. Who do we find it? A lot, of, a lot of us don't realize this, but in the Davidic line, yes, Jesus is the line of David, but who was Jesus' earthly father? Joseph. 
Joseph was in that line of David. If everything worked out okay, you know, as far as the kingship goes, Joseph should have been the king of Israel when you think about that. But where was Joseph? You couldn't find him anywhere because he was where? He was a carpenter up in the galley at a town called Nazareth. That's where our story takes place next. The Bible says very interesting here. Look with me quickly over in Matthew chapter 2. You've got to see this. You've got to see. This is so important. Okay? This is where we're going to start seeing how Isaiah 53 is, uh, is mentioned in, other, in the New Testament. Isaiah chap- or excuse me, Matthew chapter 2 in verse 23. Okay? Mary and Joseph, remember, they went to Egypt with Jesus and they come back. And they couldn't go to Bethlehem because Archelaus was there, so they go up north. And it says here in verse 23, And he came and dwelled in a city called Nazareth. And here's the point. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now this is not talking about the Nazarene churches. Okay, it's not talking about that. But he's talking about here, he will be identified as a Nazarene. Now if you look throughout the Old Testament, you won't find a prophecy that says specifically that. He'll be a Nazarene. But you see the connection. This is a wordplay, because why? Where, was, where did this take place? He went up to Nazareth to be a Nazarene. Even in the English, you can kind of see the comparison between the two words. The Hebrew word for the branch is called netzer. Netzer, or that shoot out of dry ground. He will become a netzer. In Hebrew, we say this town is netzeret. You hear, the, you hear it? Netzer, netzeret. It means shoot town. That's what, that's what Nazareth means. He'll be, it'll be a shoot town. It's believed that Nazareth was formed sometime about 300 years before Jesus, and it was believed that those were exiles that came back from, uh, from Babylon, from Persia, and as they built that, it may, perhaps they had a messianic hope that they'd become a shoot town, if you will, for the Messiah. But you know what? In Jesus' time, is insignificant. Just a few hundred people lived there. Most of them, when they went to work, like Jesus and Joseph were carpenters, they went up north uh, to, to Zippori to, to work there. Okay, that was the idea that was going on. So this is a play on words. Jesus lived in Nazareth to fulfill scripture, that he would be a branch, that root out of dry ground, exactly as Isaiah 53 talks about. This is very, very important. So the title, though, Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, remember what the disciples said? One of them said this, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That insignificant place, just like that tender plant. That insignificant place, and that's where Jesus lived most of his life. But you see, Jesus' title was known as Jesus of Nazareth. This was, that title was an expression of faith for his followers, but it was also a title of scorn for those who rejected his identity as Messiah. That's very important because why? We see here that he is rejected of men. Back in Isaiah 53, we see this, okay? The servant here is described as having a lowly appearance as we see this, okay? He'll have a lowly appearance. Um, in verse, back in Isaiah 53, verse 2, the second part, he hath no form or comeliness. Uh, when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Again, he was insignificant. He was passed by by most. So this Messiah is described as having a lowly appearance. This is very similar to what it said in chapter 52, verse 14, as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than other men, and his form more than the sons of men. He was unrecognizable. There's nothing uh, glo- outwardly glorious about him. You know, you li- find a lot of art or even in movies that, you know, Jesus is always having a halo over his head. 
Looks good in art, folks, but Jesus didn't walk around with a halo on his head. There was something, not something that really recognized him as being special, a degree above. No, he blended in. He was insignificant, just like a tender plant as a root of, uh, out of dry ground. People didn't notice him for who he really was. Rather, it was the words and the works that he did that, God's, that got people's attention. Okay? The thing is this. Jesus fulfilled these messianic prophecies and displayed his messianic power. How did he do that? By healing and teaching, as he said. At his first coming, he was rejected. John chapter 12 Verses, actually, let's turn there. You, you need to see this. This is beautiful. Look at with me in John chapter 12. Again, this is shortly before Jesus goes to the cross. John chapter 12. Look at the response from the people. John chapter 12, and we're going to read verse 37 and 38. What was the reaction? Jesus came as a light to the world, but people rejected them. Okay? And it says in John 12, verse 37. But though he, Jesus, had done so many miracles before him, yet they believed not on him. They refused to. Why? Verse 38. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who hath believed our report? To whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Does that sound familiar? Absolutely. Here, this is my point. That Jesus himself understood his role as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He was the fulfillment. By the way, John and the other disciples also saw him in that same manner. Very important as, as we see that. Again, the first coming of Christ, he was rejected. He was a rejected Messiah. At a second coming, he'll be accepted. Very important as we see this, okay? Moving on, back in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says, He, Jesus, or the Messiah despised and rejected of men, man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We his that were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So there's a couple important things to understand this. The nature of his rejection. He was despised. It's actually mentioned twice in that verse for emphasis. He was despised. He was basically abandoned. People looked the other way. He was despised. He was scorned. It also says that he was forsaken, meaning he was rejected by men, by people. He was rejected by them. He was treated as disease. It says acquainted with grief. The Hebrew word for grief there is chole, which means sick. He was he identified with the sick, with the disease. Actually, we're going to talk about this next week. That really is an idea going back even further in the Old Testament that Jesus identified himself with the lepers, with those that were diseased. That as the lepers, people didn't want to be around him. They rejected him. They walked the other way. Even so, that's how people responded to the suffering servant, to Jesus himself. Very important as we see that. He was also treated as an offense. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was assumed judged by God. We esteemed him not. As you look at the suffering servant, he was rejected by all. And the point is this, as John says, John 1.11, that he came unto his own and his own received him not. This was the unexpected Messiah. This isn't who we were expecting. We're expecting the mighty ruler. Bar Kokhba actually gave us a fighting chance for a few years. And you could put another, he was, he was kind of like David. This Jesus, he didn't do anything. He didn't fulfill it. That's why you talk to Jewish people today. Yeah, the Messiah could be this, this, and this, but he's definitely not Jesus. Okay? Very interesting as we see this. Now, moving, moving on here is this. The, mess, the Messiah's unexpected announcement. I give you two quick stories and allusions here in the Gospels. 
how do we know that Jesus, did Jesus really understand himself to be that suffering servant? And I can say yes for two quick stories. First of all, we go up in the north to Caesarea Philippi, the Banyas. By the way, you come to Israel. We'll hopefully make a trip there. I'll take you to the spot. You can see it firsthand. Here it is. This is Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? Peter says, Thou art the Christ. Not Mr. and Mrs. Christ's son. You are the title, the Messiah. You are the Messiah. The son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee by my Father which is in heaven. What does Jesus say after that in Matthew chapter 16? He says shortly after that, that the Son of Man would suffer. In other words, people expected him to be the Messiah. Yes, the Messiah is here. But then Jesus says, but that Messiah is also going to suffer. That's what was unexpected. Going on to another thing, the transfiguration, the next chapter. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to a high mountain. He's transfigured uh, there into the sky, into the heavens. Moses and Elijah are there talking with him. And what was their response? Let's build into the three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. They were just in awe of the glory of Christ. They saw the glory, the messianic glory on full display at this moment. And as they come down, Jesus said unto them that the Son of Man will suffer. The Messiah, the servant, is going to suffer. He's going to die at the hands of sinners. Very important as we see this. So again, the disciples, I don't think even at the moment, they fully understood what that was about. It wasn't until the event actually happened, because what happened? When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, where did the disciples go? They fled. They fled. They ran away. They forsook the suffering servant, just as it says here. He was forsaken of men, despised. He was scorned. They esteemed him not. Even the disciples do that. So the thing is this. We're all guilty of the death of the Lord because of our sin. But yet, Jesus died in our place. So what we have today is this. The unexpected Messiah came to bring unexpected salvation. That's the point. The unexpected Messiah came to bring us unexpected salvation. At his second coming, Jesus, the Jewish people and the Gentiles, for that, will finally believe in what was said in that report. Who has believed our report? Finally, they will reveal. It's actually been said that when Jesus said, you will not see me henceforth until you say, Baruch b'shem Adonai, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. When they finally accept the Messiah, some people believe that they will sing this song, the servant song, who has believed our report before that happens. Nonetheless, the Bible says in Zechariah 12, verse 10, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and mourn, shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, shall be in bitterness for him as one that has bitterness for his firstborn. The Jewish people will one day realize who that suffering servant really is, and one day they will be saved. One day all Israel will be saved, and they will believe on that suffering servant that Isaiah mentioned so many years ago. My challenge is this, as we look at this passage, these verses even today, that open up the scriptures, open up even the New Testament, and the point is this today, the challenge is this, believe in the unexpected Messiah of Isaiah 53. This chapter will change your life. This chapter will change your life. Believe on the servant. This is the message for not just the Jewish people, but for the whole world. Folks, if you are here today and you do not believe on the name of Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't know that servant yet. 
The servant that was abandoned for you, forsaken for you, died on a cruel cross for you, for your sins and for mine. He did it simply because he loved you. That's God's plan of redemption. Folks, would you believe on him? Believe on the servant that Isaiah told about. How important is us for us to look at the Bible as a complete story, as a complete picture, and let our lives be changed. Let Isaiah 53, let this chapter change your life.